In the Richmond Times-Dispatch on Thursday of this week, there was a large picture depicting significant events in New Orleans. The picture showed a crane removing the statue of Confederate General P.G.T. Beauregard. And the headline reported, Third Rebel Statue Pulled Down in New Orleans. And then a few paragraphs into the article, the mayor of New Orleans commented, Today we take another step in defining our city, not by our past, but by our bright future. While we must honor our history, we will not allow the Confederacy to be put on a pedestal in the heart of New Orleans. If you've seen this morning's paper, you know that this is also a story about Richmond. And there are growing complexities and questions regarding uh, Richmond's historic and famous monuments. And you probably also know that every day, several times a day, I ride past all of these monuments on my way to this very location. And the daily journey generates for me a mixture of emotions. Are these symbols of honor? Uh, reminders of a noble cause? Or are these symbols of oppression and racism? Are these statues uh, memorials to another era? Or are they... Are they idols? Uh, with this in mind, I want to uh, invite you to turn to our scripture for today. The scripture comes from the Acts of the Apostles. And just to refresh your memory a bit, the story of Acts follows uh, the story of the Gospels. Uh, it comes right after all the four Gospels. And in fact, the writer of the Gospel of Luke continues his writing in the Acts of the Apostles. Acts is really a sequel to Luke, and they have the same author. Uh, following the resurrection, Acts tells the story of what happened to Jesus' disciples. After seeing the risen Christ at the end of chapter uh, in Luke, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, which happens at the very, very beginning of Acts, the disciples continue Jesus' ministry of bringing about the kingdom of God. So they go about teaching and healing and preaching and doing God's work, and therefore the book is called The Acts of the Apostles, and the apostle is someone who has literally laid eyes on the risen Christ. That's the definition of apostle. And we jump into Acts today at chapter 17, and the apostle Paul has joined this band of followers of Jesus. He has actually seen the light. He's converted from Judaism, and he has seen the risen Christ. So Paul becomes part of this band of disciples leading uh, the early church, the church of Jesus Christ. In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens. That's a long way from uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Athens is a bustling, vibrant place of culture and business. And read along with me, or read as I read it, uh, the beginning of Acts, beginning at 17. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some Epicureans and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some says, what does this babbler want to say? 
Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. And they asked him, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. So we would like to know what it means. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. I want to pause right there for a minute. The city is full of idols. And the word idols changes things for me. Um, Changes the context and it really ought to change the conversation. Monuments are often important to us. When they become idols, well, we may need to rethink and renegotiate. And here's a bit more of a context. Athens was one of the largest and most busy and bustling places in the whole world. Cultures crossed there, philosophies engaged with each other, their religions were in conversation. And then the Areopagus, mentioned in this passage, is in the center of Athens. And it was a place of learning and listening, a place of debating. It was a place where philosophies and religion engaged with each other and tugged along with each other. And the people heard Paul speaking at the Areopagus, and they, they said, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? We'd like to know what it means. And so the story continues. You read along. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all their existence. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even one of your own poets had said, For we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by, the, by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. But others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul is in Athens trying to engage the people with what he sees to be the truth, the truth of creation, the truth of the world, the truth about God, 
the truth about the gospel amidst this busy, uh, bustling, uh, complex culture that can swirl around all of us, this busy, complex life of ours. Paul's goal is to engage the people and give them an orientation uh, so their lives can be open and transformed by the living God. That's his mission. So he begins with a compliment. Hey, people of Athens, I see how extremely religious you are. You have objects of worship. You have shrines. You have come and you talk about many gods. He seems impressed with them. But then Paul begins to appeal to them with his important message. Uh, And this is a translation from the message. Listen, this God who made the world and everything in it, this master of sky and land doesn't live in custom-made shrines. Starting from scratch, God made the whole human race and made the earth hospitable. And God made us to seek after God, not grope around in the dark. Indeed, in God, we live and move and have our being. We're to live our lives in God. And those who heard all this were seemingly engaged. And some scoffed, for sure. Uh, But others said, we'll have to hear more about this. They were beginning to wonder. Wonder about God. Wonder about who this God is and how do you live life in God. And then I love, I just love how this passage ends. But some of them joined him. And it says they became believers, including Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Some became believers. What are we becoming? What are we becoming? This is a good day to think about this for uh, uh, Isabel and Mary and, and Thomas who are finishing high school and heading off to new ventures. What are you going to become? It's a good word for all of us as we think about our lives and what might be going on with our lives, some new challenge, some new diagnosis, some new family issue, some new transition that we have to move through. You know, this is how life goes. And we have to keep adjusting. And what are we becoming? What are we becoming? And it's a good time to think about it for our nation and for our world. We seem to be in difficult and complicated times. Do we find life in God? What are we becoming? In him we live and move and have our being. Is that in effect true for us? So we're becoming more and more God's people every day of our lives or something else. This is what Paul in the New Testament affirm over and over again. Life is held by God in whom we live and move and have our being. He's even quoting their poets. And life is about gentleness and compassion, living out our faith as devoted disciples of Jesus in every circumstance, It's not about monuments and shrines, things that don't really matter. It's about the source with a capital S, the source of our being that leads us to act for peace and love and hope for the whole world. It's not about slogans and detached conversations that sound good like were happening in the Areopagus perhaps. Maybe the Areopagus was the place of the first tweets. Who knows? Uh, Good sound bites 
It's not about good sound bites. Paul is saying it's about God's pervasive love that covers us. It's about good news of life in a world of death. It's about grace in a world where we're too quick to grudge, hold grudges. It's about hospitality when we're too often talking about harming others. It's too often uh, about forgiveness when we're often really about hurt. The gospel of God, are we becoming that? This is what Paul is talking about, becoming. It's about our lives, lives deeply faithful to God, not shallow. It's about the core of our lives. We're made in the image of God, and God is not far off from any of us. That's what he keeps saying. We're made to live and love with grace and generosity, not empty religiosity. That's his point over and over. Some of you know that I subscribe to this daily email that comes called the Daily Dig, and yesterday, the Daily Dig and Included a quote from Soren Kierkegaard, and I want to share it. Listen, worry about making a living or not making a living is a snare. In actuality, it is the snare. No external power, no actual circumstance can trap a person. If we choose to be our own providence, then we will go quite ingenuously, naively, into our own trap, the wealthy as well as the poor. If we want to entrench ourselves in our own plot of ground that is not under God's care, then we are living, though we do not acknowledge it, in a prison. In a prison. Paul reminds us, in God, we live, we move, we have our being. We're offspring of God. Our life is from God. Our life is for God. Are we becoming that? Or are we trapped in some, some prison? Some prison of our own making. There's a song by Dave Matthews that is called The Big-Eyed Fish. It's about a big-eyed fish that didn't want to be a fish anymore, but a bird in the sky. So he caught a great big wave hoping to fly but ended up on the beach. Silly fish. Fish belongs under the sea. Same songs about a monkey who climbed up in a tree but decided that the city is where the monkey wanted to be. So he ran off to the city and what happened? A monkey can't survive in the city. A monkey belongs in a tree. I'm not sure what kind of theologian Dave Matthews is, but there's some great theology in that message. We have been given so much grace and life and blessings. What are we becoming? We often go searching in all the wrong places, and what happens? We, we find emptiness or loneliness or even death. We've been showered with abundance. We've given... We've been given life with possibility. Are we going to go chasing after this and that and then find no life at all? Paul says it clearly as we can. In God, we live and move and have our being. And this city, Richmond, this country of ours, wonderful country, this season of life, you know what? The world needs us becoming more and more God's people who live for God 
and live to serve God in the world. That's how we're made. Life for God, life for others, life working in the world to make it a better place for God. And those words from John's gospel say it also as succinctly as we can. If you love me, says Jesus, you will keep my commandments. God abides in you. God abides in you. And God will always be with you. We seek to live uh, for God. I've learned about this through my life. I've learned about this. Life from God and life becoming uh, God's person, God's people. I've learned this uh, from many devoted people in the church. I've learned this, that God is the source of our being from many people who uh, served alongside me from other churches, um, people whose lives embody love and hope, who embody foundation and a focus, uh, becoming God's people. I'm also aware that my parents tried to live this out for me and my family through changes and challenges, through cancer and chemo, through a devotion to God's work in the world. From them, I learned to appreciate what it's like to strive to be God's own and be for God in the world. And that doesn't mean it happens. It's a journey, a constant calling, and it's not without uh, a lot of ups and downs and failures, but I've seen it lived out by many of you and many others, and we are called to keep on this journey, becoming the kind of people God made us to be. So perhaps today we might all think about um, what is becoming of us. And then we might, in God's grace, seek, seek to become the people God made us to be. How different would our lives be if we actually were daily more intentional about striving to live life in God, to have God uh, be our whole essence and being the focus of our living. It's like the hymn that we're going to sing in just a moment says, breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. That's Paul's message. The God of the universe is in our midst and our lives are about loving and serving God. We don't just wake up in the morning and seek to celebrate a new day, we have to remember there's nowhere we can go where God is not with us. We don't just live uh, going through the day. We live out our lives knowing that in certainty, God's love holds us, enfolds us, and we're called to live and love as God's people. We don't just let the circumstances that affect our lives dictate how we feel about everything. We know who's in charge, who's the source of our being, and we know what we're called to be about, loving and serving God in all things. And that dictates, dictates how we live. It's not without failure, and it's not easy, but it is our calling, a wonderful calling, and it may come and go up and down, but it tends, intends to be how our lives are focused.
one of my favorite prayers forever uh, is a prayer by Thomas Merton. And I keep this prayer right in my Bible, tucked in, so I can read it often. Some of you may be familiar with this, but listen. It goes like this. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing it. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do any, anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing actually about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. We live in a crazy world, but we live with an awesome God who never leaves us. In him, we live and move and have our being. So whether we're fretting about statues or sorting out some personal crisis or trying to figure out what to do this coming week, in God, we live and move and have our being. And we know that shapes how we live, seeking to love and serve with compassion and gentleness and forgiveness and kindness always. May it be so. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we believe. Help our unbelief. And by your Spirit, show us the way, the way of following Christ our Lord. Amen.